Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. Today you have me, Jared, the Review Gnome, and a very special guest. Hello, my very special guest. Can you let our audience know who you are? Hey, everybody. My name is James Intercasso. I am the lead designer at MCDM, which is Matt Colville's production company. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. So for those few people that haven't heard your name before, where would people know you from the uh, world of TTRPGs other than MCDM? Uh, I think probably uh, the most popular things I've worked on are seven different Wizards of the Coast hardcover books, uh, including the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which is probably the the most popular thing that I've worked (laughs) on. People love that critical role. And uh, I've also worked on Eberron Rising from the Last War, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, Dungeons of the Mad Mage, Mythic Odysseys of Theros, uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So yeah, it's uh, it's been awesome to and a privilege to be able to work on all of that stuff. I'm the creator of the Burnbright role-playing game, which is an original science fantasy role-playing game that is available through Roll20. And I've also done a bunch of stuff on DMs Guild and for the Adventurers League and uh, on my own blog. And I had a podcast for a while too. Uh, so it's awesome to be here. I'm super excited. I am glad that you had time to uh, swing by. I'm really happy to be talking to you. I haven't got a chance to talk to you face-to-face since uh, Gamehole Con, where I was lucky enough no. to get into one of your games. That's right. <laughs> we had an epic bout against the Serac, uh, yes. and you you played an amazing ranger character. <laughs> uh, it was a lot, a lot of fun, uh, that game. Uh, I think on that fondly, because I've run that it adventure a lot um, at different conventions but that was actually the most recent time that i have run it at the convention was for you at gameful con so i'm very <laughs> glad uh, to talk about it that was great unfortunately i remember it partially because of the weather and i almost was late to the session and i was very bummed out oh, about right. that but listen i would not have started without you because i was so eager to to, to see you uh so uh, <laughs> yeah because we had already interacted a lot online and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. so you're a legend Jared, a legend. Yeah, uh, somehow so. I don't feel like I have legendary actions. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no one does these days. No one does. <laughs> All right. Um, how long have you been with uh, MCDM? Oh, so that's great. Full time, my year anniversary was February 1st of this year, but I had been working with them since the fall of 2019 as a freelancer before that. So I've been working with them now for almost three years, which is really cool and exciting. And I started with them when there was a job posting, right? I I knew who Matt Colville was. Um, (laughs) And uh, there was a call for freelance writers. And I thought like, well, let me throw my hat in the ring. And one of the things it said was like, you know, preferable, not required, if you know sort of a little bit about Matt's world and everything. And I wrote my cover letter. I don't really know about that, but I will <laughs> study it if, if we, you decide we work together. And I started to like watch the videos and stuff, and a month went by and I didn't hear from them. And then at GameholeCon, <laughs> so this was months later at GameholeCon, I got an email uh, after our Tarash game that said, <laughs> hey, are you interested in working with us? And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And so that's how it started. I started working with them on a book that actually hasn't been released yet called Player's Guide to Capital. So I have released many products with MCDM, but the first thing I worked on with them has still not been released. See, that was the uh, the next thing I was going to ask is uh, what have your favorite projects been for MCDM? But I remember that that was the first thing 
that I ever saw mentioned, and I was kind of wondering where were the <laughs> what was going on with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. So there are still plans to do stuff with that. We still uh, hammer on it from time to time. It's just that we have all of these other things, and we are a small staff. And really, that is that project is a passion project for Matt, right? It's a, a setting mm. book for one of the cities in his world, and he feels like it shouldn't take priority. So he's the boss. He gets to make that call. But there's a lot of good work that's been done, and uh, we're eager to get it out there. We just, you know, we have this monthly magazine, Arcadia, that I am really, really proud of that we put out every month. That takes a lot of time. We put out Kingdoms Warfare. We're making new classes. Uh, we have this monster book thing that we're working on now. So <laughs> people are clamoring more for that stuff. So that's why we're focused there right now. Gotcha. So outside of things that haven't released yet what has been your favorite thing to work on uh i definitely the beast heart is my favorite thing that i've worked on with mcdm so far beast heart is a, a new class with five subclasses where you are a, a hero who has a pet as your companion and it's not like a beast master ranger or uh, any of the other various sort of pet subclasses out there this is a whole class dedicated to having and sort of managing the ferocity of a really a wild animal that adventures with you. They're not really a pet. You're sort of equals in terms of power, but also, you know, agency and responsibility. Yeah. And I actually, I, I really liked that when, uh, when I had oh, the chance to you. review it, I, I really did. I like the, I like the class and I also like the, uh, the ancillary rules, which I wasn't really expecting as much. You know, the rules for being able to just have an animal companion, even if you don't have a Beast Heart character. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that we wanted to include, because we know whenever a new class comes out, right, you kind of need to wait till you're starting a new campaign for most groups to use it, if you're going to use it at all. And then, you know, do you already have somebody who's fulfilling a role and all that kind of stuff? Like, maybe you won't even play a Beast Heart in your next game. So... We started with the idea of, like, anybody can have a pet, right? Um, it's just that the Beastmaster is the best at having a animal companion with them. And so we put out these rules for managing an animal companion, which is great. And it, I've heard a lot of great stories about, you know, wizards riding owlbears and things like that. <laughs> using the rules, which is really fun. See, now, one thing that you can work around if you at least want people to make up the character is you can do like I do and leave a session on a, on a cliffhanger and everyone is sure they're going to die. So they start talking about their next character already in the two weeks until you play. <laughs> yes. Yes. I definitely had had that very recently in a wild beyond the witch light game where they went in guns blazing level two against a hag. Uh, and uh, whew, we ended that session mid fight with, three players down and uh, it was like well <laughs> next week will be a real short session i guess <laughs> <laughs> it's our next session zero <laughs> <laughs> all right so we've kind of danced around it a little bit but can you explain for the people listening what flea mortals is yes yeah, so flea mortals is the mcdm monster book and it is a new book of monsters 300 or more monsters for fifth edition dnd and it can replace your core rulebook or supplement it as you see fit. So you will see a lot of creatures that are already in the Monster Manual in this book, but they're things, if you're familiar at all with Matt Colville's work, that usually means things that are more tactical, um, have more options in what you can do with them. 
And also, generally, we're trying to make things a little bit easier on the GM in the sense that, like, we don't give you a giant list of spells. We give you abilities that, that work that you can read out the whole text and everything you need to run the monsters basically right there in the stat block, which is similar to what Wizards is honestly doing with mm-hmm. their monsters in uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. Yeah, that is actually something I was going to talk about a little bit later is, you know, looking at some of these design trends as they are coming out of Wizards as well as uh, third party publishers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things we've been working on the monster book for a while. So when Monsters of the Multiverse came out, we we're like, oh, look, it looks like Wizards of the Coast thinks this is an issue that needs to be fixed, too. So that means we're on the right track. Our way of fixing it is might be a little different than theirs, might not be. But that's where our, our brains are right now, are, are in a similar space in terms of adding spells to uh, just that block, something like that. <laughs> so, okay, this is a very personal, selfish question of mine. Yeah. But some of the monsters that disappoint me the most are real-world animals. Is there any chance we will see real-world animals that actually have some more exciting options rather than just, like, walking up to someone and chewing on them? This is a great question. So we actually had... A similar question today, we did a live stream, and someone asked, are you going to make a cat that actually has dark vision? <laughs> uh, which I know is a, a contentious topic. We don't have a lot of plans, sadly, at the moment to do like regular animals. Although I too, so I worked for National Geographic for a long time before I was full-time in games. And I also don't like that that animal appendix is basically like, you have a claw or you have a bite or you have a, you know, a gore or whatever it may be. And you have a movement speed and maybe a climb or maybe a fly or swim. And right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it as far as animals go. So I would love to be able to do that. One thing that I am trying to explore is maybe having different options for, for templates and things like that that you might be able to add to animals to make them different. But right now, the scope of the book is such that, like, <laughs> there's a lot of animals in the world in the in the monster manual, and I think if we wanted to go through and, and do all of them, we would probably have a bad time. <laughs> However, you probably will see some animals get uh, an MCDM treatment. Some of the ones that you're more likely to come across, maybe like a, a boar or mm. a bear or wolves or that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm just saying I would love to see a crocodile that actually had a death roll. Instead of just biting someone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think that would be really cool to give death roll uh, features. That also, were you at the live chat today? Did you ask? <laughs> I was question? not actually, but. <laughs> oh, wow. That was, that was a question that was like, why isn't there a death roll? And are you going to add one to crocodiles in your book? <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> it's it's clear, clearly a thing people want. So we should definitely take that under advice. Apparently crocodiles are foremost on people's minds right now. <laughs> <laughs> So this is kind of circling back around. You you kind of hit on this earlier, but there's not like a ton of uh, spellcasters in the preview material, but I did look through and like, for example, there's a goblin spellcaster. And I, w- I did notice that where they have a spell attack that is not an actual, you know, listed spell. And they have, you know, it is that same simplified stat block that uh, Wizards has, or at least similar to the ones that uh, Wizards is working on now so here's a question not to put you on the spot here but no i'm ready for it there has been some discussion too though about how making that not a spell also means counter spell suddenly doesn't matter as much and there's kind of a some knock-on you know effects that happen 
with making that a little bit more user-friendly for the DM. Yeah. So actually, one of the things, we've talked about this, and this is not in the preview packet, but Matt and I have talked about it a lot this week, and we're going to implement it. And you can actually see we did a similar thing in a free release we put out last week that has nothing to do with Lee Mortals, but we put out a supplement for Kingdoms of Warfare last week. And uh, and what we did for the spellcasters in that was we said, this ability is a fourth level spell. This ability is a third level spell, right? This this action option mm-hmm. and that. And so we're going to do that. We're going to codify these things, you know, especially when it is a creature that is like a caster, right? Like this is the, this is a goblin caster, the goblin curse spitter. And so we are definitely going to go through and say, this is a first level spell. This is a second level spell or, or whatever for the purposes of you then being able to know what you need to do to counter spell or does silence work or does mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And we'll probably add that to the rules at the beginning of the book that when you see spell second level in parentheses, you can safely assume that is a spell of second level and that it has verbal and somatic components, right? Um, and now you know how counter spell would work and, and that kind of thing. Right. I'm very interested because I know, like, I don't want to just say I don't like this change. And because I know, especially with things coming up in 2024, there's probably context that we haven't seen yet. Sure. But yeah, neither, it is yeah. definitely... Yeah, you know, it's definitely something that I, I know a lot of people have discussed. So just kind of wanted to get your take on that there. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you did. We've been asked that, like I said, a, a lot. And I think that's a, a good way to do it. We were thinking about, you know, we had a, a designer we were working with, not on Fleet Mortals, but on this other project. And it was like, oh, that's really smart. We should do that and, and bring that over here. And I think one of the things that, you'll see is that some abilities have that and some don't, right? Like mm-hmm. some some monster actions may not have that. Just the same way in the monster manual, some monsters have spells and, you know, the Death Knight has a Hellfire orb yeah. that isn't technically a spell, right? So there'll be a mix and match. Yeah, and and I like that because the the flavor for that for me is that Death Knight isn't casting a spell. It's reaching into the netherworld and throwing a glob of, you know, hellfire at somebody. Exactly, exactly. But the Goblin Curse Spitter should have that because that that's what they're doing, right? Yeah. They're casting a spell. They have a staff and they're, you know, saying magic words and gesturing to create magic. So that should absolutely be a spell. So you nailed it. That's what the distinction will be. All right. So another thing that I noticed is that the preview has tweaked retainer rules in it. Yes. This was just for you. <laughs> and that you'll also be having a retainer version, you know, retainer versions of some of the monsters that exist in the book as well. So what kind of feedback did you get that led to the changes in the retainers? Yeah, so probably the biggest change in the retainers is the retainers in Strongholds and Followers, as they first appeared, had health levels instead of hit points, right? They, they had three health levels, which basically meant you could take three hits and when you were healed, you restored one health level. And Matt thought that would be easier to track. And community feedback overwhelmingly was sort of like, eh, you know, like we already have these rules for hit points and it plays nicer with everything if we just have hit points. Like we know how cure wounds works. We know how that sort of thing. And so we looked at it and we said, well, yeah, we can, we can do that. That's easy to do. We can give them hit dice and hit points and that sort of thing. So that change is made in Flea Mortals. And it, we have plans to eventually revise the retainer rules in Strongholds of Followers as well mm-hmm. and send out new PDFs to everybody who backed and, and when we do a new print run, like all that kind of stuff. 
the the new books will have the reprints in them. We're not going to send new books to everybody who has the the old book or, or that kind of thing. But so that's the plan is to give retainers hit points from now on to make life easier for the players who are running them so they don't have to have two, two different health systems in their head. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my thought when I first reviewed it is I understand trying to simplify it, but sometimes learning a new system yep. feels more complicated than even if the system is simpler. Yeah, yeah, because now you have to know two things, right? Like if characters were using health level two, then maybe it would be different. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. But I think, right, D&D uses hit points. Companions, when we put out the B-Start rules, right, companions use hit points, and that worked really well. So, like, retainers are basically companions and, you know, speak <laughs> and uh, and don't go into ferocious rampages. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we thought, well, let's bring that over here. We sort of, you know, floated that out with companions. You know, that worked. And there may actually be more changes to retainers as we go on. Maybe they'll get abilities for and that was one of the things that I was um, I was going to say is I really like the concept of retainers, like from the minute I read that in there, because I like the idea that you can have someone that is a follower that has a limited list of things that is kind of iconic to say what that is. Like it's a warlock, so it gets to Eldritch Blast somebody and then maybe pick up three other limited use abilities and it's a challenge because that's the design space you get to work in to try and make it feel like whatever it's supposed to be. But I also like that it is a very simple thing where you can hand that to a player and say, here's your, here's your apprentice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, you know, and and that's what we want to do. We want that to be as easy for a player to run as possible. So they're not running two characters because that's really complicated. Right. But we do want you to feel like that person matters too. Um, and is an important part of your party and story. The other thing that I really liked, and this is kind of part of that retainer section, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. I noticed just in how goblins were described, you do go out of your way to not say goblin society is all based on being, you know, predacious towards other species and things like that. It is very much framed as these are the bandits of the goblin world. These aren't necessarily rank and file normal everyday goblins and that also leaves room for you to have that retainer that you're not worried is going to slit your throat in the middle of the night and does not frame an entire culture as a monoculture so i definitely noticed that when i was reading through the the preview thank you yeah yeah that was that was definitely intentional you know for all of the reasons that you and your listeners probably expect. And I think uh, again i think wizards of the coast is also moving that way to Mm -hmm. their credit and I think, uh, you know, I think, man, there are some real villains in real life, right? Like, we know how bad humanity can get. There are also some real heroes out there. We know how good it can get. And I think every ancestry should exist on that spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, basically, if, if you are a humanoid, you exist in the spectrum of humanity's good and evil, right? That, that you have some really great people and you have some really terrible people and these goblins that we have stat blocks for are the really terrible ones. But most goblins are, you know, at the very least, not terrible. And there are more good ones than there are bad ones, just which is an optimistic view of humanity, but that's also how I view humanity. Yeah, Yeah, and when you give stat blocks for, like, human bandits, you're not saying that this is all humanity. So I do really like that, how that's framed in there. Um, And I also noticed, like, the alignments you kind of went with the any usually and then it's only like the singular characters that have 
an alignment that says this is what alignment they are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like, and, and that's why maybe you want to use these goblin stat blocks as allies, right? Maybe you want to have a, a thing where you're, you're spraying off, or maybe it's a misunderstanding with the characters mm -hmm. that, that is then resolved, right? So that's why the goblins are pretty much listed as any alignment. And then we have, you know, for some of the other creatures, typically, or, or that kind of thing. And we do have some named creatures in here, so they, they get their alignment as it is. So, what would you say is the most adoptable monstrous companion that is currently slated to be in the book, if you can talk about it? Oh, that is a great <laughs> question. Um, so, one of the things to know about the book is, uh, I know a lot of RPG companies, like, write the thing, and then go to Kickstarter, right? We don't operate on that model, at least right now. Um, maybe in the future we can get there. Right now we operate on the, like, let's kickstart this to see how many people want it, and then we'll get there, which is why it takes us a while after the Kickstarter, because then we have to, like, hire the writers and stuff like that. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because things could totally change um, <laughs> as we're talking about this. And we're also going to hire a lot of freelancers to work on the book, and we want them to have fun creating some, some of their own monsters. So that probably this answer will change uh, as we can <laughs> However, um, so with that long caveat in place, I am really excited about doing a Griffin companion because I really would like to be able to uh, provide that. That's something we tell people ask for a lot in the Beast Heart, and it's something that it was just kind of like, well, are we giving people flying too early if it's like part of the core Beast Heart packet, right? But this is something I think would be great for a monster book. And, you know, the monster book is mostly a GM tool. So the GM decides, am I going to give this person a Griffin or, or not? Um, so, uh, and Griffins are near and dear to my heart. Like, I, I have loved them since I played Warcraft 2. And you could have dwarf Griffin <laughs> riders come out and throw axes at people and stuff like that. So for me, it's the Griffin. For a lot of people, um, you know, people were sad when the Beast Heart came out that we didn't have, like, a big cat companion uh, <laughs> so you will probably see several big cat companions including the light bender who is available which is a cat that is able uh, shall we say a, a beast that is able to displace themselves in many ways <laughs> i i may have noticed that uh <laughs> that, that would be an alternate way to describe them <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah, a little less obvious than the Overmind, which is a giant floating eyeball monster. Uh, so, uh, but with, the, but the uh, eyes are not connected. The eyes are not connected. No, they float. They're disembodied and, and float around them. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what you're referencing, but. Uh, but yeah. Oh goodness. Um. And well, and the funny thing is, when you mention griffins, that is such a fantasy archetype, and there are so many settings where that gets referenced too. Like Waterdeep has griffin riders, and Zobek, you know, in Midgard has griffin riders, and you know, in Dragonlance, the Sylvanesti had griffin riders. So it's like. That is definitely a recurring theme that comes up in a lot of settings. Yeah, I think it's something that you will definitely see people want to use, right? Like, that's one reason I'm excited about it, because I think people will, will drop that into their games and say, like, cool, you saved this, you know, baby griffin from uh, uh, the, the attack of a wyvern, right? And now you're able to nurse them to health, and eventually they get big, and you're able to ride them so uh, that's the story I want to tell anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I know Matt's cosmology is a little different in its planar construction, but what I am curious about is, are there going to be any singular boss monsters that are 
sort of in the mold of like arch fiends or archangels or arch fey or elemental lords or things like that. So the first thing to know is that um, this book is going to be like a able to be put in any setting, right? So like we're not putting the frame of Matt's world around it in in any particular way. There might be sidebars that are like, hey, if you're using Matt's world of Orden, here's some advice uh, or, or here's some extra lore to go along with this creature and that kind of thing. But this can be, you know, this is sort of fantasy land uh, <laughs> if, if we had to give it a setting. That being said, I think you will see some action-oriented themes, maybe. I don't think you'll see a lot of Fae Lords, um, and they will be few and far between. And the reason for that is because we are talking internally about, you know, possibly doing a setting book someday for Matt's World, mm -hmm. and those things would go in there, right? And so that's, we're kind of looking at doing a lot of classic monsters here, and then a lot of new monsters, but that still work in that classic fantasy land setting. And, you know, you might see like an arch hag or something like mm -hmm. that, that is fey or, or that kind of thing, but, or an arch devil who is very, what we have come to know and think of as devils, but uh, we won't have too, too many of them. Mm -hmm. That makes but sense. I should say yet, right? In this product, <laughs> we are planning on them for another. So, um, but you will see, there will be tons and tons of boss monsters here, right? We're going to do, essentially, whenever we make an action-oriented version of something, which is sort of our, our spin on legendary actions, instead of three legendary actions around, a monster usually has a bonus action and a reaction, which can substitute for those legendary actions, right? And then they have these villain actions, which are these big, powerful, dramatic things that they can do. And so anytime someone is action-oriented, they have a name, they have a history, that kind of thing, right? So, like, we have our Overmind, which is that flying eyeball beast we talked about earlier. But then we have Zoranox the Tyrak, which is the action-oriented version, like, tougher, harder, and with villain actions. And that actually kind of plays into looking at the two different types of those monsters. And it plays into kind of the greatest hits from 4th edition that we kind of uh, see in some of this design philosophy, where you're kind of reintroducing the different um, monster roles. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we wanted to make it easier and fun to build encounters, right? And so th this preview, you'll see there are 12 goblins, right? And uh, th there's like a goblin sniper and a goblin assassin and a goblin skull cleaver and a, a, a goblin boss, right? And all of these different things. So they occupy these different roles and you're able to then... Uh, build these bands of creatures and, and put them together and say, okay, over here and over here, and this is uh, how this works. We want some soldiers, so we're going to pull those in. And so there aren't really mechanics necessarily related to the roles. It's just an encounter building tool to help GMs build something. So that if they sit down and they say, oh, you know what? I've got all artillery here, which means that once the players close the distance, it's going to be an easy fight. Maybe I should put some, you know, soldiers or, or brutes up here so that they can block them. Um, that's exactly what that's for. And we did, you know, that was not an original idea from us. Like you said, that's in fourth edition. Uh, we, we totally pulled that out and lifted it for us because Matt and I both like that. For anybody that, you know, was used to how fourth edition did that, in fourth edition, it was sort of like, these are the rules for if you're making a skirmisher or, you know, whatever you were doing. So they would have certain stats that were bumped up this way or that way. 
And in this case, it looks more like you build the stat block and go, this thing would be really good at hiding and murking people from the shadows. So we're going to make this thing an ambusher instead of kind of the other way around where it's like, okay, how do we build an ambusher and then throw something on it to make it look like a goblin? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly sort of sort of what it is. We think about what are the creatures we want to create and, you know, then what roles do they fall into after we create them? You know, and and we try to make them different and we build towards those roles in mind. But we definitely want to make sure that they are what they are first uh, before we get to like, okay, well, this needs, you know, if I've got, maybe goblins don't have, you know, a certain role and that's fine, right? There doesn't need to be a goblin in every single role. There just needs to be what makes sense for the story and for that kind of thing. Because, you know, maybe goblins are going to go work with humans right and humans have a lot of roles and so they can fill in the gaps so um that's the other <laughs> beauty of not making cultures monoliths mm-hmm. it's really easy then to mix and match and create you know an npc adventuring band if you want to from all of these different creatures that was the other thing i was going to bring up from the preview and i said this in my analysis on my blog but i so wish i would have had minion rules to use for giants when i ran storm king's thunder yes. because there were times i just I wanted giants that hit people hard, but didn't take forever to kill. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and that was really, that that's the thing that I am most excited about in this book, actually, is the minions, right? And fourth edition minions were famous that had one hit point, they went down and one hit. For reasons like sleep and color spray and uh, various other spells, you can't give people, we can't give minions one hit point because otherwise those spells are just going to like lay waste, right, to minions mm-hmm. in a way that is unsatisfying, even though they exist to be laid waste to. So we came up with different rules for they go down in one attack or a failed saving throw, but if it's beyond that, right, damage has to beat their hit points and like, and then you can also use this hit point for an overkill mechanic so you can kill multiple minions with one blow and it's been really fun in playtesting. It took us a while to get to a point where it wasn't tedious. So shout out <laughs> to the playtesters for that. But yeah, it's uh, they're not in the packet, but we do plan on making some giant minions for you to take on, which I think some people are like, what? How does that work? And I think the idea is, well, at higher levels, you know, you should be able to uh, David some Goliaths, right? Uh, <laughs> and so uh, so that, that's the plan is uh, to be able to make some giants who hit really hard, like you said, but they go down fast. And man, do you feel like a hero. Mm-hmm excited about that and and you know when you get to the person that they're acting as the bodyguard for that giant can can stay there and take whatever you know you throw at it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly right and that's part of the fun too is like your players be like oh which one of these are minions and which one of these are uh oh (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so I, i definitely like i i like the implementation i'm excited to kind of get that to the table in my game and see how that works because the other thing that i like is you gave the range for what minion uh hit points should be at different you know challenge ratings so that does make it a little easier to you know grab something that's an existing monster and then tweak it to where it's a minion so I will probably be doing that in uh, my campaign at some point in time just to see how that works out. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the things we wanted to do because we knew, you know, we can't provide a minion version of every single creature, 
but if you want to have minion dragons, but I want to give you the rules to help you do it, right? And so, uh, so hopefully that that will help you. My players would have really appreciated minion quicklings after uh, <laughs> <laughs> a few sessions ago. Yeah, yeah. I, quicklings are surprisingly sturdy. They are very sturdy, uh, and and they're jerks. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. They are wonderful at annoying the actual players, uh, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's fun for me as the GM. <laughs> it's fun for me so yeah, exactly. <laughs> fun, <right>? <laughs> <laughs> um so beyond flea mortals is there anything else going on in mcdm that you would like to talk about yeah actually so we i talked about the beast heart um we're working on our next class now and this will probably actually release before flea mortals it is the talent which is a, a psionic class our, our version of psionics and the reason we started developing it is because some of the monsters in Flea Mortals will be silent, right? And so it's really fun. Uh, they're basically think like a wizard that doesn't cast spells like a wizard, but it's also not a it's not a points system. It is a you roll whenever you manifest a power, and if you get below a certain number, you gain strain. And strain can mess you up, make your nose bleed, that kind of thing. Uh, and you have a certain amount of strain. And so, like, you can take a lot of strain when you manifest a power to make it big and explosive and stuff. But you can also die if you take too much strain. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're testing all of that right now. So asterisk on everything I just said. Is it all <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's the plan is the, the talent's going to come out. And it will have not just be the talent. There will probably be psionic creatures and uh, psionic player ancestries and things like that. So I'm excited. I am interested to see that just because one of my articles I did last year was looking at all of the completed or not quite completed versions of Psionesis that have shown up in fifth edition so far. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, it's a, first of all, people should go check that out because I stumbled across that when I was doing research for the talent, right? And it was very helpful because I was like, what has actually been done? I, I know a lot and I know I've read different versions of different classes and subclasses, um, you know, and I know where we ended out. But uh, but yeah, so, and this is sort of, uh, I think what's what's in Tasha's is, is a one great way to do it. And this is just another way of doing it. And it's more of the route of what we've seen in previous editions where psionics and magic were very separated. Uh, and they're different things and mm -hmm. different forces. And, and I sort of like that. Matt likes that. So that's why we elected to go in, in that direction. But there's no reason you can't have, you know, an aberrant mind sorcerer in a party with a talent. Um, you just get your psionics from different places. Yeah, that's kind of one, of one of the things that I have liked about 5th edition is it is very modular so that it doesn't feel as out of place if you do have two things like that, you know, side by side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I also understand why there are people who don't like psionics at all, uh, or won't like our approach to psionics, right? Because it's the, you know, it's getting the sci-fi peanut butter in the fantasy chocolate a little bit. And I think I, I get why people don't like it. And that's another reason why our class is called the talent, right? We're trying to make it feel more fantasy and less, you know, mm -hmm. um, like a metabolism and things like that, like words that are very, feel very anachronistic. You know, what's really funny about that is just recently, because I'm way behind the trends, I just recently started reading the uh, Vlad Taltos books. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was actually surprised how much 
while it is very much a fantasy setting, there are like all sorts of like science fiction terms that come up in there. Like, you know, we, we did a genetic scan of this person and it's not like a science fiction setting where they have magic. It's literally just magic. But they did use a lot of that kind of feel of psionics along with the magic and everything. So that was kind of interesting to me. And that's why I kind of looked it's like, okay, this was early 80s when these started. So that is, it's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, they're similar in, you know, if you watch or read uh, or have played The the Witcher. Yeah. That has very, you know, they're talking about like mutagens at some point and, and things like that. And you're mm-hmm. like, what? <laughs> we're just talking about fighting a dragon like uh, uh, yeah. uh, I, def- I definitely dig that though I, I dig that kind of thing sometimes so it's fun yeah okay so I don't I, you may not be at at you know able to say anything about this but since you're talking about fourth edition and you're talking about classes is there any chance that we might see say like a martial or a warlord type class sometime in the future <laughs> Uh, that is a great question. I don't, Matt and I have talked about it a lot. One of the things that we, I think we would both love to see something like that in the game. I don't know that we have a good approach for it because fifth edition isn't as tactical as fourth edition. And so having the warlord be like a very tactical class that can mm-hmm. move you around and, and shout at you to restore your hit points and stuff like that. We're just not sure how to make it work in 5th edition or if it does. So right now we don't have a plan to, but, you know, never say no <laughs> is what I would say. It's a good question. It's one that comes up a lot because we both like 4th edition. We both like the Warlord. Yeah, that's definitely one of my one of my favorites there. Yeah, yeah. The, the real question is, can we make something robust enough that it is a full class in 5th edition? And I don't know mm-hmm. if we can. I know other people have. And, uh, and yeah, I really like Robert Schwalb's version that he has done. Yeah. But see, I, I like seeing multiple takes on things because I like to punish myself by reading as much stuff as possible and then swamping myself with yeah. work. So yeah. I mean, I think Rob <laughs> Rob did a great job with that. Rob also has a warden class. Um, that, uh, that yeah, I love that really, one too. Really, really good. Really, really solid. I had a player actually use that in a Tales of the Old Margrave uh, game that I ran. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, Rob, you know, Rob's one of the designers of the core rulebooks on, on 5th edition, and he worked a ton on 4th and 3rd, and so, like, uh, and, and honestly, the mechanics in Shadow of the Demon Lord, I'm, I'm very excited to get his non-horror version of that, Shadow of the Weird Witch yeah. coming out, because, um, you know, there's some aspects of Shadow of the Demon Lord that are not friendly for everybody, uh, <laughs> and, and this other one is, is going to be more he has described it as family. Um, so that, yeah. that's one I'm, I'm eager to get my hands on because I do love the mechanics of Shadow. Oh, yeah. I, I run a campaign of that, yeah. too, and I, I really enjoyed it. But, yes, you there are times when you sit there and think about, what did I just describe? Right, yeah. yeah you have to have the right players. And honestly, like, right, like yeah. I can get down with that, and I have players who can, who can get down with it. And also, it's easy to ignore stuff that does horrify you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for some people, it's just an immediate turnoff. Right. Even look at the book for whatever reason or whatever. So, and, and they are some really solid fantasy mechanics. Super good. Super, super. And, and building characters is super customizable and fun. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, and it's fast. Uh, it's, it's really pretty amazing what he managed to pull off in terms of 
customization, but also being easy to play and understand. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've praised uh, right. Rob Schwab. <laughs> uh, this is now the Shadow of the Demon Lord podcast. Uh, <laughs> so where can people find uh, you on online and where can they find MCDM online? So people can find me on Twitter at James and Chicasso. That's J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. That's my name. And uh, you can find Flea Mortals uh, by typing Flea Mortals basically into the internet. <laughs> or if you uh, head on over to uh, MCM's website or Discord or uh, our Twitter page or anything like that, we're, we're constantly chatting about it. Uh, but if you go to Kickstarter and search Flea Mortals, it'll pop right up. All right. That is awesome. Really looking forward to seeing more of this Kickstarter and seeing more other things come out. I just happened to uh, get an email telling me about the index for this magazine that I've heard of. I think it's called uh, Arcadia, oh, yeah. I think. <laughs> hey, it's a hack magazine. Hack, hack managing editor. Don't, uh, don't, don't buy it. But if you are interested, I guess you could go over to Patreon. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. All right. Hopefully we can have you back again sometime to talk about something else you're working on. <laughs> anytime. Anytime. Thank you so, so much. And and thank you to your listeners for uh, for listening to this, uh, this chat. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a great time, too. And I think that's where we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by NPCs with a reaction that lets them react to their monologuing being interrupted by starting a new monologue. Your villains will never fail to deliver their masterful speeches ever again. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Misdirected Mark. Phil, Bob, and Jerry go live every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find me at whatdoiknowjr.com and on Twitter at whatdoiknowjr, and you can find Gnome Stew at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.